thank you. Thank you very much, church. Right. I, I, in the first service, we talked about um, been, it's been a new day, and I want to say it's indeed a new day, and we praise God for that. Um, this is the final preaching our series on the, on the Lord's Prayer, and throughout this series, we have gained insight into God's mind uh, as we went deeper into the model that Jesus gave on how to pray. So my encouragement is that you would go back, revisit those sermons, and be edified again by them. And talking about edification, I, I believe when I say it's a new season that God is bringing us into a place of equipping, is equipping us again uh, to be victorious as we live uh, that Christian life. In scriptures, the Bible says, blessed be God, you know, it says, who causes us to always triumph by Christ Jesus? He, he causes us to always triumph, not triumph some days or some weeks or some hours. It says always triumph by Christ Jesus, and we trust him for that. In our text today is, is, is in Matthew 6, 13. It says uh, Jesus tells his disciples, he tells us on how to pray. He says when we pray, we should, we should beseech God and say, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And by the evil one, we mean Satan, the devil and his minions. In the next few minutes, I want to provide more understanding into what temptation is and how God has delivered us, is delivering us, and he will deliver us. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 1.10, Paul talked about uh, the fact that God has rescued us from such a great danger in the past. And he says, he rescues us today and it will continue to do so in the future. And as a church, we all say amen to that. Amen? Amen. amen. Praise God. So what is temptation, you may ask? So temptation, simply put, is the seductive and alluring enticement to sin. I'll say that again. It's the seductive and alluring enticement to sin. And we know that when you're fishing, for example, the kind of bait that you use depends on the particular type of fish you are targeting, right? So worms are a common type of bait, and they attract wide variety of fishes. And there are also artificial lures, not real, artificial, that mimics the movement of insects or fish, and it makes them irresistible to certain species of fish, like a fisherman who carefully selects the bait to attract a particular type of fish, the devil also meticulously selects temptation that we appeal to our weaknesses and our desires. The bait may appear appealing. It may appear to be, you know, to fulfill with a promise to fulfill some of the desires that we've got. However, like the worm on the hook, the bait is often deceptive masking the danger that lies beneath. And once we take the bait and we give in to that temptation, we become hooked and we become trapped. The hook sinks deep into our hearts and mind, causing us pain and suffering. Before delving de deeper into this, uh, into this preach, I'd like to make a very important point. 
And the point is that it is essential to know that temptation is not sin. I'll say that again. Temptation is not sin. Martin Luther said, you can keep birds from flying. He says you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Isn't it? You can keep it from building a nest in your hair. In other words, why it might be difficult to uh, sort of keep the devil from suggesting thoughts or from the world throwing lies at us. Why it might be difficult to do that? We can choose not to dwell or act on what is suggested. It's only when we give in to temptation and we act on it that it becomes sin. In James 1.15, it says that after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So, the encouragement to you is that you should not allow the conceived lust and desire to give birth to sin. In this fallen world, we will always face situations that challenges our fidelity to God. There will always be temptation for every level of spiritual growth you think you've attained. In his book on the Lord's Prayer, Kevin the Young highlighted three different ways Temptations come according to the Bible. The first one is temptation that comes as trials or testing. The loss of loved ones, sicknesses, financial difficulties, breakdown of relationship, and so on are examples of trials and tests that are trials that test our faith. Church, these situations are difficult with countless days or months of grief, of tears, of pains. And as a people of God, we pray that God's love would surround members of this family that are going through times like this in Jesus' name. These trials are, not, are inherently not sinful, but the suffering they involve can tempt us to doubt God and his goodness or compromise with the world and give up on faith or turn away entirely from God. We may be tempted to compromise our values or put our faith or trust in money and material wealth instead of God. Navigating broken relationships can be quite painful, leading to the temptation to seek revenge or to give up on love altogether. Despite many trials that we face in life, we can find comfort in God's promise. His promises to us to use our pains for good, to provide for our needs, to heal relationships, turn financial struggles into blessings. And I know this is easier said than done. When you're going through, it almost seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So C.S. Lewis says, he says, God always God allows us to go through difficult times, not to punish us, but to shape us into the people he wants us to be. Amen, church. Amen. James 1, 2-4 says, Find joy in the testing of your faith as it produces perseverance, it produces maturity, and it produces completeness. The second way temptation comes is those temptations that are external to us. I mean, these are the world's lies and promises and the devil's entreaties and suggestions. 
So sexual temptations, greed, anger, substance abuse are common temptations that we face. The prevalence of pornography and provocative imagery in advertising, in social media, and in entertainment can lead to desensitization and to addictions. The pursuit of wealth and material success can become all-consuming, leading to the temptation to prioritize money and material possession above God. Anger is also often seen or glorified as a sign of strength and power in society. With drugs and alcohols, that they could also be very tempting either for us to escape difficult situations or us bowing down to peer pressure. Lastly, there are temptations that come from within, and these ones are really difficult. They are the allurement of sin that are internal to us. This is what James was referring to when he says that when you are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone by evil or with evil. But everyone, every person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desires and they are enticed. And talking about the flesh, there's this beautiful analogy about a prince that was, became a frog. I'm sure you've all had it before, where there was a kiss from a princess, you know, and then the, the, the prince became human again. So just imagine for a second that there was a banquet where the king has invited all of his subjects. Remember Coronation Day? Yeah? Imagine that scenario. And then imagine that this prince that has turned from frog to human, then suddenly, with, in the watchful eyes of all his subjects, saw an insect flying by, and he stick his tongue out to catch the insect. And after catching it, he was like, oh, wow, that was so good. That's a weird sight, isn't it? And that was what Paul was talking about when he was encouraging us about Christian living in Ephesians 4. He says, believers, remember your former way of life. He says, put off the old man or the old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. He says, be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self that is created like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let us be careful. Pride can manifest through arrogance, through the desire to, for recognition, or a refusal to submit to authority. Envy can lead us to become jealous of other people who seem to have more success or material possession than we do. Anger can cause us to be resentful towards others who have wronged us and those who don't share our beliefs. Lost can result in the desire for sexual gratifications outside of God's design for sex within marriage. Selfishness can lead us to prioritize our wants and needs above that of others and use them or use others for our own personal gains. When these desires are acted upon, Scripture says in Galatians 5 that they become what we call the acts of the flesh. It says those who do those things or live lives that way will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's important also to remember that God offers forgiveness and grace to those who repent and turn away from their sins. 
In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He didn't say some unrighteousness. He said all unrighteousness. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent, the devil, tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit by appealing to the lust of the eyes. We read that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes. The lust of the flesh, it says it was good for food. And it says the pride of life, it says when they take it, it will make them to be like God. And we know what happened. They fell into this temptation and it resulted into death and separation from God. So let me take a moment to share with you some te temptations I've, that I faced 20, uh, 20 years ago. I left Nigeria to work as a consultant across Africa, intending it to be a very short, brief three-month stint. You know, short enough to come back, to come to the, U to the UK and do a master's degree in the UK and pay my way using that. So during my very first assignment in Niger Republic, I shared an apartment with an older colleague uh, who during one of our nights after we had finished work, you know, when we got into conversation, I had expressed to him how lonely I felt because I'd never been away from my family and friends for that long before. In what he will later describe as being his brother's keeper, he took matters into his own hands, this colleague of mine, arranging for a lady to keep my company one night without my approval. He did that to me because he thought that this, the solution to my loneliness problem was to do that for me. Imagine the horror and the shock I had when I woke up that night to a strange sight of a young lady who had undressed and tucked herself comfortably in into my bed. I leapt out <laughs> of the bed as I as I as I as she began to explain, oh, oh, it's it's C that's made me do this. It's C that's made me do this. They had met earlier on at the nightclub and he's put her up to this. I left the room immediately and took to the sofa in the living room. After I've had time to settle down, you know, wondering what in the world just happened or is happening here. Then the tempter came. The wandering thoughts started to come. Oh, wow, isn't she gorgeous and, and attractive? What is wrong with you? Just go for it and repent later. God, God, God will surely understand. I lost all sleep that night, as you can imagine. I wrestled with those thoughts till daybreak. God was faithful to me that night, and I overcame. What opinions or suggestions or solutions does the word offer you? We can be offered good suggestions that are not God suggestions. I remember Stuart Reed when he was preaching about the breastplate of righteousness. Stuart said that 
the devil suggests to us things that are true, true things, but are not the truth. I'll say that again. True things are suggested to us, true things, but not the truth. Church, are we discerning enough to spot good things that are not God things? Do we also know true things that are not the truth? That brief, brief three-month thing I talked about ended up being a 13-year journey across the world for me. I got married to beautiful Arike and started a family. Then God began to speak to me about following a different path that leads to the flourishing of my entire family. However, significant temptations arose again. This time around, enticing me to the allure of wealth and status at the expense of my family. There were new job opportunities in very desirable parts of the world, offering significantly more money, and just like a fish would do to a bait. I lost it after money, disregarding the instability it will bring to my family and leading me into disobedience to God. I fell prey for the deceitfulness of riches and I was deriving security and fulfillment from what wealth provides until the Lord delivered me. So the tempter uses desires, appetites to tempt us into sin, offering quick and easy ways to satisfy them outside of God's plan. I'll say that again. The, the tempter, the devil, uses and his minions uses desires and appetite, our desires and appetite to tempt us into sin, offering quick and easy way out to satisfy those desires outside of God's plan. The deceiver plants doubt about God and his goodness and laws into unbelief. Pride and desire for power leading to sin by offering a promise of self-exaltation. There's an African proverb that says that if the devil gives you a shoe, it will come back later, not only for that shoe, but also for your legs. It's going to come back for your legs. Fear and anxiety are also used to tempt us to make hasty decisions or to doubt God's protection and provision. The devil twists God's words and presents lies and half-truths leading us to confusion, to disobedience, and away from God's will. His ultimate plan in all of these things is to deceive, to lead astray, and to ruin lives. And when we fall into sin, because we do sometimes, when we fall into sin, the tempter becomes what? The accuser. He becomes the accuser and messes us up all over again. He uses guilt and shame to discourage and tempt us further into sin, drowning us in condemnation. It reminds us of the past mistake we've made, our sins, and make us feel that we are unworthy of God's love and God's forgiveness. Church, the devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he has had the whole of time since the fall of Adam and Eve to practice and master the art of 
of deception, which is why we cannot, which is why we cannot overcome him in our own might. This is not a question of I've got strong will. In fact, research has proven that there's a, there's a limit to which your will can go. We cannot overcome him by our might. How then can we overcome? Are we helpless in this battle? Are the odds so, so, so stacked against us? How did Jesus overcome? Let us take a look at Jesus. He understands and he empathizes with our struggles. And we, when we turn to him, we can turn to him for strength and guidance in resisting temptation. In Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, it says, For we do not have an high priest that, can, that is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. He feels sympathy for our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. It says, let us therefore approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, for a second, imagine the audacity that the devil had when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, using that same old tactics that he used in the Garden of Eden. He says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread and satisfy your physical hunger, the lust of the flesh. He says, jump from the pinnacle of the temple to prove your identity and gain fame. Everybody will just come and worship you. Pride of life. After showing Jesus the kingdoms of the world, and all of their glories. He says, worship me in exchange of that. No, no, don't need to go to the cross. I'll give you the crown. Lust of the eyes and the pride of life. For each of these temptations, Jesus used the word of God to overcome. Church, we must know the word of God. Amen? Amen. Psalm 119 verse 11 reads, I have eaten your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Where are you hiding God's word? Under your pillow? It says, I have eaten your word in my heart that I will not sin against you. This goes beyond the occasional glances that we, you know, that we sometimes do to the Bible. Oh, it's in there. Oh, yeah. I don't know where it is. Oh, my Bible is all full of dust. It involves what? It involves reading. It involves studying. It involves meditating, memorizing, internalizing, and leaving the word of God. This is what Charles Stanley called, described as building a wall of truth to defend against the devil's lies. The wall of truth. Surrounding yourself with a wall of truth. It involves saturating our minds with the word of God and choosing to believe and act on the truth. To be victorious over temptation we face day to day, day, to day we must cultivate a deep an abiding relationship with God. A deep and abiding relationship. There's no running away from this. We can do that through prayer, through worship, through fellowshipping with God's people, through the study of scriptures. John Piper encouraged us on the importance of seeing and savoring the greatness and beauty of God in order to be satisfied in him and resist the empty promises of sin. We must also depend on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to live by faith rather than by the flesh. 
By walking in the spirit, believers can resist and overcome the desires of the flesh. In Galatians 5.16, it says, So I say to you, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God condemned sin in the flesh and in Romans 8, 4 to 6, he did that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. In Ephesians 6, Paul encourages us to pull on the full armor of God. He said, put it on, the full armor of God, so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. The question I've got is, did you leave your armor at home today? Really? Or do you have your full armor on right now? I remember Ron Lamb when he was talking about the Roman army in our Battle Ready series. Ron talked about how the Roman soldiers stand together side by side. He says during the war they bring the shield together and they stand side by side, protecting each other and advancing as a troop, as one troop. Encouraging us to stand together as a church, praying for each other and pushing back the odds of hell. Church, we must stand together, shoulder to shoulder, not breaking ranks. Remember the scripture says that one of us, we chase 1,000. One of us. One of us, we chase 1,000. And it says two of us, we put 10,000 to flight. That's a multiplication effect. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. And when we agree together on anything, the heavens hear us. God hears. We will say to the devil and his minions, you do not have a place here. We choose not to lose ourselves or any member of our church family to your lies and to your deceptions. Not under our watch, we would say. Not under our watch, we would say. Church, this is war. This is war. We don't shoot to injure this type of enemy. No. I'm going to shoot you in your fingers or your fingernails or your ear. No, we don't do that. We shoot to kill this enemy. And I'm not talking about physically shooting people. We shoot to kill. We shoot to kill. Isn't it Thomas Jefferson that said that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. We must cultivate vigilance. In 1 Peter 5.8, we are admonished to be alert and of sober mind because our enemy devil prowls like a roaring lion looking for whom to devour. We must be awake, church. We must be awake. We must be ready. We must recognize the tactics that the devil uses. We must take practical steps to avoid situation that leads to temptation. Remember Joseph in, the, in Genesis. Joseph resisted Potiphar's wife's advances. How did he do that? By, not, by refusing to be alone with her. When I was cornered in my room, as I relayed earlier on, it wasn't time to speak in tongues. 
it was time to flee. Scripture says, flee all appearance of evil. It is a flee evil. It says, when it looks like evil, run away. Church. It says, a wise man will see evil and what? Do what? He's going to hide himself. Every appearance of evil, Scripture says, we must recognize our temptations and weaknesses and the thoughts that easily tempt us. So I ask the question, do you know your vulnerability? When the devil sends you a letter as a temptation, do you know his handwriting, or would you open it up and say, oh, I'm strong enough, I'm going to open it up? We must know things or thoughts that tempt us. And we must take those thoughts, we must take them captive. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul urges us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This means that we should not entertain sinful thoughts, but instead reject them and focus on our minds on what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent, and what is praiseworthy. If you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you face an insurmountable obstacle, friends. The help and the deliverance I'm talking about here is only available to those who have been made alive in Christ. In Colossians, Paul said this. He says, when you were dead, he said to the Colossians church, when you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He says, he forgave you all of your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and he has nailed it to the cross. He says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The testimony of believers is that God has freed us from the power of sin and from the devil. And if you want this to be your experience too, your first step is to give your life over to God. Accept God's gift of salvation, his love towards you, and the freedom he offers through Christ Jesus. You will have an opportunity to do this very shortly. Believers, let us rejoice. Believers, let us rejoice. We read in Romans 6, that our old self was crucified with Christ Jesus so that the body ruled by sin, the body that is ruled by sin, might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Also that sin shall no longer be our master because we are not under the law but under grace. In Titus 2, 1 to 12, I mean Titus 2, 11 to 12, it says we understand that the grace of God offers salvation to all people. i say that again. The grace of God offers salvation to all people. It says that same grace is teaching us, has taught us, taught us to say no to ungodliness. The grace of God has taught us to say no to ungodliness. You remember that scripture that says, shall we stand in sin and say grace you are bound? No. The grace of God. If you've experienced God's grace, what he's done is he has taught us to say no to ungodliness 
unworldly passions. He says, and he has taught us to live life self-controlled, upright, godly in this present world. Hallelujah. In conclusion, let us trust in God's faithfulness. Oh, if he's done all of that for us, let us trust in his faithfulness. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Oh, nobody has experienced this in, in, the, in the old world. That's not true. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. It says, and God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. So if there is temptation, you can bear it. God will not let you be tempted above what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Friends, church family, do you know your way out? For you, is it cultivating a deeper relationship with God? Or for you, is it building that wall of truth to surround you against the lies of the enemy? Or for you, is it cultivating vigilance, taking practical steps? What is your way out? The psalmist says in Psalm 18 verse 2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. Is my shield, is the arm of my salvation, and he is my stronghold. Let me leave you with the words of this beautiful hymn written by Martin Luther in the early 16th century during the Protestant Reformation. Luther was inspired to write this hymn based on Psalm 46, where it says, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulk wall never, never failing. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. God's truth to triumph through us. This is the prince of darkness, green. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. And it concludes by saying one word, one little word shall fail him. Church. God, our Father, we pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.